Well, we finally made it. Week number four of this four-part series, Everyone Wants a Hit. That's the name of the series. And you're wondering, what does that mean? Well, basically it means this. Everybody wants a hit of dopamine. Now, I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But studies tell us that 43% of everything that you do over the course of a day is done out of a habit. 43%. That's why you can drive to work in the morning and you can think to yourself after you arrive at work, I don't really remember driving to work. That's why you can drive uh, down 22nd Street and go through a signal light and on the other side of the signal light you say to yourself, wow, I wonder if that was green or red. I just don't remember. That is why that you can lock the front door of your house when you leave, get in your car, pull out of the driveway, and you think to yourself, I wonder if I locked the door. You go back and check, and 95% of the time you did, right? You locked the front door, but you don't have any remembrance of that. You performed those actions out of a habit. It's part of a habit thing that God has given us. It works in your brain, and, and it happens not in the front part of your brain, which is where the active thinking, thinking about things things. That's where that happens in the front. This happens, the habits happen deep inside the middle of the brain. That's where they take place. It's in a place called the basal ganglia. This is where most of your habit information inside of your brain is stored. Now, habits are made up of three very distinct parts. We've talked about this. That's why I'm moving so quickly. We've talked about this the other three weeks. Habits are made up of very of three very distinct parts. The first thing is called a cue. A cue is kind of a marker. It's a flag. It waves the flag and it says, hey, 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 hey something just happened here. Um, and I remember this. I remember that when we see this happen, whatever that was, it, it throws that flag, waves that flag, throws out a marker, then that means there's something our brain says, there's something I'm supposed to do for you. Now, I'm going to throw in a new part of the brain this morning that we have not talked about the other four weeks, here, the other three weeks. Here's the new part. The memories that you have stored in your brain, the picture memories, the picture memories you have for any cue that you have in your brain, it is stored in another part of your brain, two places. It's stored in the hippocampus and the amygdala. Those two places we're going to come back to in just a moment. But that's where your brain stores these pictures of the cues that you experience. Now, after you see a cue or experience a cue, uh, your brain picks up on that cue. Then here's what happens. From these two places, the brain begins to search. It began, It picks up the cue from the uh, amygdala or the hippocampus. And then it begins to search your basal ganglia. And it's searching the basal ganglia for a pattern, a routine. So when you see that cue, your brain sees it, it lo- starts looking through all the file folders of your basal ganglia to say, okay, there's some kind of action we're supposed to perform here. And it's looking in the basal ganglia through all the file folders in your head, trying to find the exact routine that goes with that cue. And the routine is whatever behavior, what, whatever action that takes place, that's the routine. Now, that routine is the second part. So a habit made up of three things. One is a cue. The second thing, it is, uh, it is that routine. It's stored in the basal ganglia. And here's the third part of every habit. There's some kind of reward. You get some kind of reward. When you have that cue, you go find, your brain goes and finds the routine associated with it because it will do the routine 
only because you get some kind of reward for that routine. The reward is the third part of the habit. Now, working with this whole process of a cue, a routine, and a reward is this thing called dopamine. It's this powerful chemical that your brain naturally produces, but it's a chemical that's kind of like a text message. Your brain produces this chemical when it finds the cue, whatever the cue is, waves the flag and says, hey, 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 here's something we've done before. We need to do it again because we get a reward. Your brain gives you a shot of this powerful chemical. It's kind of like a text message to the rest of your brain and your body. And this powerful chemical that you get a shot of called dopamine, it does three things for you. One, it says, hey, 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 Harley, remember this because this is going to be good. You're going to like what happens at the end of this. You're going to love this reward. So make sure this is coming. It's going to be good. That's the first thing. It kind of tells you there's some kind of pleasure coming. The second thing dopamine does inside your brain, it gives you the motivation to stick with it. You keep doing this routine, this pattern, stick with it. Don't give up because you will be rewarded. So it gives you motivation. Dopamine does a third thing. It helps you store all the information about this cue, pattern, and reward inside of your brain. And also in the form of memories. It helps with that. Now, let's take all of that science and let me show you how it works using my life. I've used this example in in previous weeks because, frankly, it's a great example. I love cheeseburgers. In fact, you could say to the point that it actually does harm to my body. I love cheeseburgers that much. And so when I leave here on a work day, as I leave here and I lock that gate right over there, as I leave, my body knows, my brain knows I'm leaving work. And what happens for me when I leave work is I pass McDonald's. I don't just pass one McDonald's on my way home. I pass two McDonald's. So I get double the torture. I, my brain immediately knows I'm getting ready to drive by McDonald's. And so guess what? That's the cue. When I lock that gate, that front gate, when I lock it, my brain knows I'm headed home. And I have a lot of time to eat a cheeseburger. And so I get my first shot of dopamine right into the head. My body gives it to me, shot of dopamine, and it says, guess what, Harley? You're getting ready to have the opportunity for some amazing pleasure, a cheeseburger. You know you love them, and they're going to be right there. I get that shot of dopamine. The cue is I lock the gate. My body knows I'm headed home. The dopamine hit says, you're getting ready to have some pleasure coming if you'll go in there and get those cheeseburgers. And the closer I get to McDonald's, guess what? The more dopamine I get. Another hit, another shot of dopamine, another shot of dopamine. To the point that when I am at the, the point where I will either turn in to McDonald's or I will head home on my journey. At that point, I get my biggest shot of dopamine in that moment because my body knows it is now or never. I'm going to miss it. Well, actually, it knows you've got one more shot. <laughs> As you drive through Pine Bluff, <laughs> you've got one more shot. So I'm gonna, I get so much dopamine. As I leave here, just my body trying to tell me, go 
get a cheeseburger. And that's what it's all about. Here's the cue. I lock the gate. My body knows I'm getting ready to go home. I get my first shot of dopamine that says, go get the cheeseburger. The closer I get to McDonald's, the more dopamine my brain produces. And the dopamine is a little bit euphoric. It's this thing in your body that says, yes, pleasure's coming. Go pursue it. Yes, go get it. You're going to love it. Go get it. It's motivation. Now, that's the way it works. In your brain, that's the way it works in my brain. From the hippocampus and the amygdala, my brain pulls out this image as I'm headed that way, this image of that cheeseburger. Oh, my goodness. I can picture it now. I'm getting a little shot of dopamine right now. I, I, it's, I, I, it pulls that out of my hippocampus and my amygdala. I don't even have to tell my brain to do that. It does it for me. And I can imagine it. I, you, you, when you're thinking of whatever it is for you, if it's food, your mouth is going to start watering. Mm-hmm. That's, your, that's your body working. And it's working you over. My brain searches the basal ganglia for the routine. It knows the routine very well. The routine is just pull into McDonald's. That's all you got to do. Dopamine gives me the motivation to do it. It gives me the reminder of how pleasurable it's going to be. And then it stores all of that information in my hippocampus, my amygdala, and my basal ganglia. And it takes over. I don't even know it's happening. That is why you can drive through a stoplight and you can wonder, was it red or green? You have no idea, do you? Sometimes when you're operating out of habit, because your brain took care of that for you, you didn't have to think about it. So... This dopamine thing when is, is not added to normal. Just You don't get dopamine for driving through a stoplight. It's only with something that has a reward attached to the end, this pleasure thing. That's when you're going to get a shot of dopamine. And dopamine, normal dopamine, is powerful. It's a powerful chemical. God created it. It's in your brain. He, he designed it for you. But with addictive behaviors like eating the wrong things, With addictive behaviors like shopping, social media, your cell phones, gambling, video games, high-risk thrill-seeking, overworking, pornography, all of those things and many more. With addictive substances like opioids, alcohol, other drugs, and yes, even, even weed. I know it's not popular to say, but even weed. Because anything that has a euphoria attached to it or more peace than normal or, uh, or more excitement and thrill than normal, any of that can be addictive. And with an addictive behavior and with addictive substances, your body does not get just a little more dopamine. Your body, your brain gets up to 10 times the amount of dopamine. Ten times the amount than normal. No wonder these habits enslave us. Ten times the amount? Really? No wonder. Literally, everyone, myself included, wants a hit of dopamine. Now, that is the science behind these habits. And now I can tell you this. All of that science, it's God's science. He created it. It's God's creation. But unfortunately, like everything else in God's creation, we have messed it up. 
what God designed to actually make our lives easier and to make our lives function better by using habits that are all orchestrated by your brain at times leading the way through the basal ganglia, dopamine, hippocampus, and the amygdala. God designed all that to help you make your way through your life and through the day. But what was meant to make our lives easier and to help us survive in this life became something that could actually destroy our lives and destroy the people around us once sin entered into this world and then entered into our lives. And guess what? It actually entered into our very bodies. And we might say, well... Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. But we really can't blame them. And here's why I know. The reality is this. Had Adam and Eve not blown it, I would have. I sure would have. You would have too. Had Adam and Eve not blown it, we would have. We have messed up God's amazing habit system that was designed to make our lives easier. And now in this sin-mutated system that exists now, it can actually destroy us. The system of the cue, and then hits of dopamine, and then the routine that we perform over and over again so that we can then get the reward. And when you get an unnatural flood of dopamine with things that are addictive, your brain then responds. Your brain then takes a step back and it's like, whoa, 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 this is too much, Harley. That is too much dopamine. I, I can't process that amount of dopamine. That is too much. So very much like for you, when the radio's too loud in your car, you turn on the car and one of the child. One of the childs has turned up. There's two as you reach over instantly, it's hurting. You reach over and you turn down the volume. That's what your brain then does. The very brain that gave you all the dopamine then says, Whoa, that's too much. And it begins to turn the volume down on your production of dopamine. And this is why that is so important. Your brain now begins to produce less dopamine than when it did. So if this represents your drug or your, or your behavior, your habit, what used to get you feeling good with this amount, once that dopamine was fired, your brain said, well, that's too much dopamine. It turns down the dopamine. Now you use this much and your body's like, wait a minute, it doesn't feel the same. I'm not, I'm not getting what I want here. The reward is not the same. So your body, then what, what is there left to do? If you're going to get that same feeling, you're going to have to do more of whatever the behavior is, whatever the substance is, because your body turned down the level of the dopamine production, so now it takes twice as much. And guess what? When you get the buzz from that, your body's going to reach over and turn it down again, because it's like, whoa, 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 here we are back again, all this dopamine, I can't handle all this dopamine. And it turns down the volume on your dopamine. And then what's it going to take? Now, with pornography, it just simply means you waste your life away on the internet. But with heroin, it means suddenly you die. Because your body can't physically take what, it's, what, what it, it is asking for. Turning down the volume, this dopamine, it, it's, it's a big deal. 
Because it takes more and more and more. In fact, when you look in the Bible, you even see how God has warned us that sin does take more and more and more. Now, you thought last week, as we told you that, that that was the worst of it. Surely, Harley, that is the worst of this habit information that you have to share with us. But I have one more step to add today. One more scientific step to add to this overpowering enslavement of bad habits and addictions. You see, even when you do all of the hard work to get out of an addiction, and yes, it is the work of your life, even when you do all of the hard work to get out of an addiction, out of the habit, free from it controlling you, this side of heaven, it is never permanently out of your life. This side of heaven, it will never be permanently out of your life. You are never so much in the clear, this side of heaven, that you can let your guard down and you can begin floating through life, carefree, not worrying or not thinking about what's happening. You are this side of heaven, carrying something with you that is very dangerous and it is threatening and it is inside your body right now. You see, those cues for the habit that you have stored in your hippocampus and your amygdala, those cues, this side of heaven will never go away. They will remain. And those cues can pop up at any moment without any warning. And they are so powerful that they can create a craving, a deep, giant craving, even without you being aware in your conscious, active, uh, aware part of your thinking in your mind. And that's why somebody can be sober for 11 years and suddenly they can crash and they can start using again right back into the hell of their addiction. A person addicted to heroin can be in danger of relapse if they just simply see a hypodermic needle. Another person might start drinking again if they see a bottle of whiskey, even if they have been abstinent for years. Someone who has fought to be free from the hold of pornography, they might jump right back in at the mere sight of a Victoria's Secret mailer that shows up in their mailbox. But it's even worse than that. Because those are things that people see and they think about. But it gets worse. Because a person doesn't even have to be aware that they have seen anything. Research has shown us that people who have been addicted do not have to even consciously register a cue for it to arouse that habit 
reward system. For example, one study scanned the brains of people who were recovering from addictions to cocaine. And they hooked them up to some scanners. They were watching the activity of their brain. And so what they did is they flashed a picture, just a picture, of different items that were involved in an addiction to cocaine. Just different paraphernalia, just different things like that involved in an active cocaine addiction. They just flashed the picture. But here's the thing. They flashed that picture at 33 milliseconds. Now, how fast is 33 milliseconds? Because maybe they got a glimpse of that picture and what it was. No, they didn't. Because 33 milliseconds is just one-tenth of the time it takes you to blink your eye. One-tenth. 33 milliseconds. In other words, what I'm saying is the participants did not consciously, with their thinking part of their brain, they did not consciously see anything. It was, in fact, impossible. 33 milliseconds. One-tenth of the time it takes you to blink. They flashed those pictures. The participants could not consciously see anything. But their hippocampus in their brain. And their amygdala in their brain. Did see everything they needed to see. Because the amygdala and the hippocampus is much faster than our frontal lobe. The thinking part. The conscious part of our brain. The hippocampus and the amygdala did see those things because they lit up just as if that person were holding those items in their hand. The brain lit up. The parts of the brain where those cues are stored, where that reward system is stored, those parts of the brain went very active With the image that that person could not consciously even see. These cues that we all have related to our own habits. These cues are stored so securely in the brain. That they can be activated. And they can begin searching for a routine. And looking forward to the reward. And you can get shots of dopamine in anticipation of this great craving. Without ever having registered that cue consciously. Wow. That means that this whole habit, the cue, the routine, the reward can be triggered in your life and you can receive a a deluge of dopamine and create an intense desire and your sobriety could be in danger. Again, What was meant to help us survive in this life became something that can actually destroy our lives after sin entered into this world and it rewired our thinking. All of that to say, you can 
get free with God's help. Even in the face of the bad news that I just shared, you can stay free with God's help. But as a follower of Jesus, this side of heaven, you can never, ever let your guard down. Now, let's go back to the story that we started as we've been following through this series. We've been talking about the Israelites and their freedom from slavery and their journey with God and how many comparisons there are to our journey away from what has enslaved us in the form of bad habits and addictions. And all along, God did some really amazing things for the Israelites. I mean, he parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. God fed them with this miracle food. All they had to do was go outside and pick it up off the ground. God gave them fresh water from a rock in the desert. God guided them during the day with this God cloud of some sort of thing in the daytime and then some kind of God column or pillar of fire at night. His presence was with them all the time right there in the air. But none of this was enough. Because for the Israelites, when they got uncomfortable, they dropped their guards and they dropped God. They worshipped handmade idols. But it wasn't just when they were uncomfortable. When they got comfortable, they dropped their guards and they forgot God. And they worshipped pleasure. And when things got tough... They dropped their guards, and they dropped their common sense, and they longed to be slaves again back in Egypt. You see, when we lose sight of God, when we lose sight of His grace, of His power, of God's love, His mercy, when we lose sight of God, our deep desires that are stored in our brains drive us toward those very addictions that maybe you have been free from when we drop our guards and we lose sight of God. You see, if you uproot an addiction in your life, in your mind, in your, in your, in your soul, if you uproot an addiction, but you fail to keep planting God's power, planting God's love and God's mercy in its place, that addiction will most certainly grow back. Here's our habit-breaking step for today. To remain free, we must continually examine our lives and keep taking personal inventory. To remain free, once God escorts you and walks you through that tough road of freedom to remain free, you must continually keep examining your life, looking at your life in detail, and keep taking personal inventory week after week, day after day. You see, that personal inventory allows us to, every single day, moment by moment, say this to God, God, wow. Wait, wait, wait a minute, God, I need you to forgive me. I just now put something in front of you. For a moment there, God, I, I made something else the focus of my life in that moment. And I gave it all of my energy instead of you. All of my effort instead of you. I need you, God, back in the center 
back in control. That's what that means. To continually examine your life and to keep taking personal inventory. It allows you to keep God back in the center. When you put something else in the center, you can quickly move that out of the way and put God back into the center of your life. For the Israelites, God actually, God actually moved in to live with them. God camped with them right in the middle. God lived in this place called the tabernacle that he told them how to build. And he said, I'll, I'll live there. I will dwell there right in the middle of your camp. That was his home with all the Israelite nations right in the middle. That's where God was. He moved in. And that's kind of a picture. That was in the Old Testament. But that was a picture of what was going to come in the New Testament when Jesus would come to this earth and he would get right in the middle of every single life here. John tells us how that works in John chapter 1 verse 14. Listen to what it says. The Word, that's Jesus, became flesh, flesh and blood, and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous, inside and out, true from start to finish. That was a description of John 1.14 when Jesus moved in to live here among us on this earth. And Jesus moved here so that he could set us all free. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were tempted to drop God, and they were tempted to go back to the slavery of idols. But in the New Testament time, Christians were, they were tempted to drop God and go back to the slavery of living under the law. But Jesus moved into our neighborhood here on this earth in order to set us free. Listen to how Galatians 5 puts it. Freedom is what we have. Christ has set us free. And now listen to this admonition. Stand then as free people and do not allow yourselves to become slaves again. You see, if Jesus, if Jesus lives in you, Jesus is giving you the power to die to yourself. To die to yourself. And when we die to ourselves, then we are able to begin serving other people out of love. And that's our habit step two for today. Here it is. Keep living to serve people. Keep living to serve all these people that God has placed around you. And you're not just serving them to make their day better. You're serving them all the way to Jesus. You see, we don't serve somebody to make them smile. We serve somebody so that we can one day see them connected with Jesus. Mark chapter 8 verse 35 says this, if you were trying to hang on to your life, this is how Jesus describes this. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Those are the words of Jesus. With every new day that you experience, this now free addict 
is choosing to live and choosing to serve rather than choosing to use and choosing to die. But if we let our guards down, it's so easy to abuse. I mean, just a little, we think. Just a little, this one time. It's been a long time. Just a little, though. And we think we're getting away with it. If we were to say to ourselves, oh, just a little bit of porn. I mean, listen, it's been a tough week. It's been a long week. I feel horrible. Just a little. Just a few minutes. Not like hours and hours like it used to be. Just a few minutes. just, Just a peek. Or if instead we're chasing the approval of other people. Because, ah, I feel so bad. I need some encouragement. Or maybe we eat the bag of Snickers because we've had a long day. In those moments, we drop Jesus and we pick back up the habit. And that is why we must keep our guard up. By continuing to take personal inventory and continuing to serve other people all the way to Jesus. We can't let our guard down. We must keep taking personal inventory and we must keep serving other people. Today's next step that I'm going to encourage you to take is this. Continue to take personal inventory. Continue to serve others all the way to Jesus. And to help you do that, I want to suggest that you spend a lot of time this week, and I might add for the rest of your life, spend a lot of time this week in a power passage. This passage has so much power. It's a power passage for the rest of your life. Keep it close to you. Feast on the words as you read them frequently. Take them into your life. I would even say consider trying to memorize these 17 verses. And read them as often as you can, over and over, verse by verse, because they are verses to live by. And I just simply want to read these to you right now. Here's the power passage, and I'm saying, will you keep taking personal inventory? Will you keep serving other people? And listen to this passage, Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth, for you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So put to death sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time for you to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on a new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. 
Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are all called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message of Christ and all its richness fill our lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's a powerful passage. I encourage you to take that into your life. I'm going to hook up my buddy here. Bubba, yes, sir. you a little nervous? No. Oh, good. Awesome. I've asked Bubba to come this morning and share some of his story with us. I'm, I'm proud to be your pastor, but I'm really super proud to be your friend. Yeah. I, th I think we have a lot of friends that we want to see um, free too. And I don't know what habit that you have this morning. It may not be crystal meth. I, for you, it, it, it may be pornography. It could be food like it is for me. I don't know. But can you imagine? Just think with me for a moment. Can you imagine surrendering everything to God? To a God that wants to fight for you if you'll let him. Can you imagine continuing, finding that freedom with God's help, and then continuing to take personal inventory safely in God's hands, in His grace? Can you imagine, as we talked about last week, uh, you uh, going to make things right with other people that you've hurt? Giving to other people around you the same kind of grace that God has extended you, the same kind of forgiveness that God has given you and that you've experienced. Perhaps serving people all the way to the foot of the cross. And don't stop there. Show them that empty tomb. Bubba, you've been serving folks too, haven't you? Oh, yeah. uh, I'm in a small group. You know, I love it. You came and helped us here yeah, with the have, building. Yeah, yeah. You've signed up. You're serving in 252 now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, can you imagine continuing to give of yourself, staying focused, as Bubba said, and, and Bubba's not perfect. I'm not perfect. But if we keep taking that inventory to see where we are slipping, where we slipped, if we don't wait a year to do it, if we do it that day or that week, then we can keep God, place him right back in the center of our lives, right where he needs to be. And we begin experiencing this life that God has meant for you to experience. And you can begin experiencing that right now. Sharing that with other people as you serve them, as you love them. This is the path out. 
the path out of enslaving habits, the path out of enslaving addictions. This is the path towards freedom. So I'm going to ask you, will you join me this morning before we lift up our voices and sing to an amazing God? Will you join me in a prayer? Let's pray. Father, you gave us life and you gave us this creation in which to live, but God, we blew it. We gave our lives to habits that harmed us. We submitted ourselves to addictions that destroyed us. But you did not abandon us, Father. You came and instead offered us freedom. And for those who call out to you, you flood their lives with your grace and your mercy and your love. And you didn't just move into our neighborhoods. You sent your spirit to move into our very lives. And now, God, may we not let down our guard. May we continue to daily take personal inventory. May we continue to serve other people around us all the way to your cross, all the way to your empty tomb. And God, may we take your words in Colossians chapter 3 and may we help them to become alive in our lives through serving you. And may they come alive in our lives in direct proportion to, to the effort that we place in bringing them into our lives. God, if we simply hear these words and we refuse to submit, God, we ask that you would speed our discomfort and our track towards destruction until we choose to bring your words of life into our hearts. Because Jesus... Freedom is what we have. You set us free. So may we stand then as free people and not allow ourselves to become slaves again. Help us, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.